holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Is it goodly? Is it weird? Is it strange? I think it is. Yeah? Well, the season's over, so it's probably goodlier than anything between August Celebrate. and Celebrate. Uh, yeah, it is a goodly morning. I mean, it was a goodly, a goodly enough weekend, a goodly enough final day, I think, for this to constitute mm. uh, a, a goodly morning, definitely. All right, well, look, before we start, uh, I'm only hearing things in one ear for some reason. I've got, like, a cold, and oh, it's weird, it's strange. You've got the window open, so nature is our guest as well today on this uh, mm. on this Arsecast Extra. And a strange, weird, odd, unusual Arsecast Extra it is, because although Arsene Wenger, I suppose, is still technically manager of Arsenal, he's still in the job, right? But... He's, yeah. he's coming back on Thursday to clean out his desk and do all that kind of stuff. This will be the first time we've ever done an Arsecast Extra where the next game won't be managed by Arsene Wenger. It is, it is a bit weird. I know. What are we going to do? We I spent, don't know. You know, five years doing Wenger in, Wenger out, the, hokey, the managerial hokey-cokey. Nothing else to talk about anymore. I guess that's the end of the podcast. No, it's, uh, it's weird. It's a new... It's very much a new era, a new chapter, and I think that's quite exciting, really, especially for for you and me. If, well, we must have said pretty much everything that could be said about Arsene Wenger at some point in the last few years. I think so. I think so. There there was at least some variety in how we said those things. I like to think, anyway. I hope uh, that everybody who's been listening to yeah, <laughs> we've been listening to this podcast, uh, you know, that is the thing, isn't it? We are moving into something new. And something unfamiliar and something exciting and it's a bit nerve-wracking because we don't know how it's going to go or who's going to be doing the the work. I suppose we're going to come to that a bit later on in the podcast because we've got a lot of questions about who might be taking over from Arsene Wenger. But, sure. you know, I, how have you found the last couple of weeks, uh, let me ask you, because w- w- one, one thing that occurred to me yesterday was watching Arsene Wenger and his interaction with the Arsenal fans and I really loved how much he he seems to have enjoyed it. You know, I, I guess when it was put to him that you, you need to make a decision here or we can do this another way, he made the decision that can't have been easy mm. in any way. Uh, you know, we know how much he loves the job and he loves the club. Um, I thought it was quite interesting yesterday where he, he even admitted himself. He said, maybe it's time. And that's as close to a tacit admission that, yes, it's the right time that you're ever going to get from Arsene Wenger. But I really enjoyed how much he seems to have enjoyed this long, protracted farewell. Perhaps it hasn't been exactly the fairy tale we'd have liked with the Europa League final, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but... 
I think it's it's as much as Arsene Wenger being at the club for 22 years is unique and will remain unique. I think that you know this this um, chance we've had to say goodbye on more than one occasion in many different ways. I think that's also quite unique, isn't it? Because it can end with managers in a much more abrupt fashion with a little less goodwill. Yeah, and look, I mean, we would have loved to have been in Lyon next week for the Europa League final, but I do think even something about not having a fixture of that kind of significance uh, hanging over us has lent itself to the kind of jovial atmosphere that has enveloped us in and, and the fans in the recent weeks. It's kind of like, well, the, the games after the Atletico Madrid semi-final sort of stopped really having any kind of consequence beyond just saying this farewell. Um, and I think that has that has played a part in it feeling kind of nice for once. Um, and, and Arsene looked really happy, at, at, not at full-time specifically, because he had to get rushed off the pitch because Huddersfield were having their own little pitch invasion, which I suppose is fair enough yeah. if they've uh, stood up in the Premier League. But when he came back out to the fans afterwards, uh, which sadly wasn't picked up by the TV cameras, but the photographs of him, you know, he looks as happy and as liberated as he has in such a long time. I'd venture probably even more so than in those FA Cup final wins. He looks like the Arsene Wenger of 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and it's, it is really good to see that. And I heard him say something yesterday post-match where he said, a bit like you mentioned about saying it's t- maybe it's time. I think he said, when you don't project yourself with the team in the future it's time to go. Something l- along those lines. I'm paraphrasing slightly. But right. That almost seemed to me to be, sound like an admission of, you know, this had got to the point where there wasn't really a... a we knew it wasn't going to be long-term anywhere anymore. And I thought you saw that in his management of the side in the last two years. And I think his recognition of that feels like something that's come since the decision. I do feel like since the decision, his stance has softened. And maybe that bit of perspective has come in and he thinks... You know what? It had to end sometime, and maybe this isn't the worst way in the world. Mm. I thought there were some nice moments in the press conference yesterday when, uh, you know, there were the planes that were flying over. You know, mercy, Arsene, mm. we'll miss you too. And uh, someone said to him, "Oh, did you see the planes?" He went, "Yeah, yeah. They had the wrong banners out today," which I thought was, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was really great. I mean, you have to. We have to mention the the other banner that was there. Cronky, you're next. Like, what? I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand I mean, the sentiment, but how, do, how does anyone make that happen? I don't know. Who put that banner up? <laughs> I mean, it's like it implies that... It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got rid of the manager. Now I'm coming for he's, my own boss. He's mad with power. Ivan Gazidis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wenger, Peyton, and now Kroenke. <laughs> It'll never stop. The, the holy trinity of Arsenal. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Arsene Wenger, every, even now, every time a reporter, and they have all asked him, every time they say to him, look, is there a little bit of relief? He's very pointed, isn't he? He always says, no, no relief. I'm just sad. But all I can say is that after the Huddersfield yesterday, game yesterday, I didn't entirely believe him. And yeah. That gives me some comfort. There's no way in my mind there isn't a mixed among all the many emotions I don't doubt he's feeling. I'm sure relief is in there too. Maybe relief, but maybe also an acceptance. Sometimes someone needs to tell you something that you know deep down. You know it. You Mm. know it deep down. And you don't want to admit it or you don't want to face up to it. But when it's said to you or when it happens or when circumstances arise, you you kind of go, okay, 
Okay, all right. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want this. I didn't like this. I didn't like that you told me this, but you know, with a bit of uh with a bit of uh, distance I can see that yes, this is the right decision and uh yeah, you you can see it in the way that he has uh reacted um you know, in the celebrations with the fans, the way that the fans have have reacted with him as well. There's been I think a sense of healing in a way because frustration yep. what's that? Out there, that's a. Is that the return of the lorry, the truck? For fu- no, no, it was just some sort of squeaking. I don't know what it was. I think it was tire on tar- tarmac, but we'll never know. It might have been a very big mouse. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know the, what I was saying was about the. Um, about the, uh, I can't remember what I was saying now. I'm completely distracted. Oh yeah, yeah, healing. We, I think yeah, you're right. Healing. And, and, and I, I, go on. And and just frustration, right? You get frustrated most with the people that you love and the people that you mm. care about. Like you know, I can get frustrated with Jose Mourinho because he's a massive wanker, but ultimately it doesn't cost me anything because he's just a wanker. Whereas with Arsene sure. Wenger, frustration came from the fact that not only did I want Arsenal to do well, I wanted him to do well for Arsenal, and. Over the last couple of weeks, I think we've seen some some healing on both sides, which I think has been great. And I think that was always going to take more than one game or one week. You know, that was always going to be a, a process. And I do think, I mean, we've sort of said this already, but I do think that what's kind of fortunate about the way things planned out is that we had time for that process. We had sufficient fixtures left that I think we could kind of work through this transition and this change from anger or apathy to embracing this guy who's given this great service to the club. And and I do think that there was a lot that was fitting about yesterday. I know that it isn't what we necessarily wanted for the end of Arsenal, but, you know, there was a, a poetry about going to, to Huddersfield, you know, where there's that... Uh, affinity and aff- affiliation with Herbert Chapman. There was something I thought they were brilliant, Huddersfield, in the way that they handled the occasion. Their fans, the club. Uh, I thought it, uh, and also we got a win. So yeah. <laughs> on the road as well, which is you know a big thing. Maybe he should stay. He's turned the away form round. <laughs> We've turned the corner at last. Maybe we should just talk a little bit about that. Um, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. I'm just shutting the window because the clanging is. The clanging's upsetting me in the well, end, so I've shut it now. I think we can, we've ruled out the fact that it's a gigantic mouse, at least. So Yeah, if it is a gigantic mouse, I don't know what it's doing. It's building some sort of barricade. Out it's of a, a gigantic robot mouse. Transformers have uh, have come as the world comes to an end. But maybe this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe we're the last people in the road and world, and everyone's been uh, taken by the gigantic transformer mice. And um, we, we, unbeknownst to us, this is going to be the last human record of that event. Wow, wow, what a thing to have achieved in our podcasting careers. It really is. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about Aubameyang because. He has scored 10 goals since he arrived at the club. 10 goals. I think if Arsene Wenger has got one regret maybe about, you know, leaving now, it's that he won't get to work with Aubameyang for longer because the guy is an absolute goal machine. And we had reservations, didn't we, about, well, he's playing him on the left. Can he play with Lacazette? Uh, yeah, he can play from the left. I mean, he doesn't do what a uh, player playing from the left traditionally does because he just gets into the box and scores goals. But, uh, you know, he can work with Lacazette. He's got 10 goals, what, four, three or four assists as well. It's a, an incredible start to his Arsenal career. The new man who's coming in is going, oh, yeah, I like this. Yeah. 
And it and it's gone kind of under the radar, hasn't it? And I mean, not among Arsenal fans, but I think among the sort of wider football populace because our Premier League games have been relatively inconsequential. But he, he scored goals against everybody and it is really encouraging. I think the new manager's got loads of options because he's got Lacazette, he's got Aubameyang. I mean, that's just that's where you start building the team for next season from, isn't it? You look at those two strikers, you think, look, they're going to be in my starting eleven, and I've got to make it function around that, whether one's wide or whether it's two through the middle. I, I think that's a prerequisite that you could try and get those two players in the team because they not only do they look very good individually, but they also seem to have a bit of natural balance. They seem like a good partnership to have on the field. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's plenty of goals in there as well. I mean, I was looking at some of the the, the tweets and what have you. He scored more goals than Alexis Sanchez this season. Mm. What? That's pretty pretty I mean, good. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Um, for a very short period of time, it was a really good goal as well. I think if Arsene Wenger's final goal... Uh, not, not that it's quite in his image, but I thought it was a lovely move. Um, some intricate play, build-up play on the edge of the box. A really clever assist from Aaron Ramsey and uh, a poacher's finish from Aubameyang. I thought it was a nice goal to go out on. Yeah, I, 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 there were some really nice little touches. I think it was uh, Mkhitaryan and Lacazette just bump off a, a few quick passes to each other in the build-up. And then when Ramsey went through, I actually thought it was Kolasinac because he was in that kind of left-sided overlap position, but a really good ball off the outside of Ramsey's boot. And that finish from Aubameyang, I mean, I know there's, there's almost sort of, it looks like there's nothing to it, but it's all about the movement. It's all about the athleticism. It's about the anticipation. And we missed that so much, didn't we? I mean, without wanting to hark back to it too much in those Atletico Madrid games, someone who was just in that 60-yard box, able to get on the end of stuff. And he's got the natural instinct. He's a, he's a goal scorer. He's done it all through his career mm. and he's carried on doing it with us. Yeah, he sure has. Um the rest of the game, I mean, Huddersfield played quite well. They pressed well. They forced us into kicking it long. The other thing, really, that stood out for me yesterday was uh, the, the Ospina stuff. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Every single game, every game, he, he picks up a knock somewhere along the way. He has to have a lie down or a little bit of treatment. Maybe it's part of just who he is and he likes, you know, take the sting out of the opposition attacks or something like that, but... Um, it was quite interesting, wasn't it? Arsene Wenger was about to make a double change when Ospina was getting some treatment and he made the double change anyway because he probably knew Ospina was fine. I think maybe it's just that he likes to feel appreciated. You know, he likes everyone to to worry and be like, oh, is he going to have to come off? We're going to have to bring Matt Macy on. And then it's like, oh, no, I can carry on. Everyone slaps him on the back. He gets a little cuddle and he carries on with his game. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there was one yesterday where he appeared to land on his ankle a little bit and turn it ever so slightly. But it's like the boy who cried wolf, isn't it? You never know with Ospina because he, he goes down and gets treatment every single game he plays. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what more can we say about it than that? It is just a, a hallmark of his game. It's what he will be remembered for the most, I think. Um, I actually thought he had a pretty decent game yeah, yesterday, like, all in all. Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Was that his last Arsenal game, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we've thought, we've, we've thought that before, haven't we, with David Ospina? We so have. He's definitely off this summer. He's not going to want to play uh, second fiddle to any keeper again. And he's there, and he's there the next season. And uh, what tends to happen is he's linked with any number of Turkish clubs throughout the summer yeah. and then just ends up staying. So I expect the same thing. It's going to be Galatasaray and Pazosnes. Besiktas here. Besiktas here. And all of those other teams. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but I mean, he's going to the World Cup, isn't he, with Colombia? I believe so. He is. Uh, maybe he'll impress sufficiently to uh, to get, earn himself the the move of his dreams to Turkey. I don't know. Well, we'll is that see. not what happened last time? He impressed at the World Cup last time, and Arsene Wenger mm. was out there and saw four him and went, ago. "I'll have me a bit of that." And uh, four years later, here we are. So, look, um, anything else stand out? I mean, there are a number of people who for whom it could be the last game. Aaron Ramsey. What about Aaron Ramsey? Yeah. What Captain's do you think? Armband Captain's armband. Captain's armband, yeah. Uh, mm. What do I think? I think... I don't have a good feeling about it. Let's put it like that. Do you think the, the reported uh, proximity of a new deal for Jack Wilshire has mm. in some way been influenced by knowledge of Aaron Ramsey's future. That was a really shit way of asking the question, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I do think that, though. I do think what, that. What, you think it, it was a shit very... way of asking the question? Uh, it was awful, yeah. It was really bad. <laughs> no, I think it's. it seems it's a bit fishy to me that the door was almost, it felt shut on Jack Wilshire. There was no progress in those negotiations whatsoever. And then all of a sudden he has a revised offer and the club really hope he'll stay. It's gone from being... It's Jack's decision, you know. I even asked him, I was saying in press conference, it's Jack's decision, he has to think about his career. To now it's like, well, obviously, we really want him to stay. I advise him to stay at the club. Something has changed. And in a way, nothing has changed too because Aaron Ramsey has had a contract offer from the club. He's had several, is my understanding. He's not been moved to sign it. And, you know, I I just think the writing might be on the wall there. Maybe he's waiting to see who the new manager is. That's not an unreasonable position to take, is it? No, I don't think so. It could well be that, that he wants to see what the future of the club is or what direction it's going to go in. And uh, before he makes a commitment, at, what, 27 years of age to to a Mm. big contract? Uh, It doesn't mean he can't move again, but I think he's always had this ambition about playing abroad. I hope we keep him. I really do, uh, because I think he is. uh, I think he's our best central midfield player, and he's a player that we need to keep because we've got other money to spend and other things to sort out. So uh, yeah, but I'm like you. I've got a not necessarily a bad feeling, but I don't have good feelings about this. No, I mean, if I was Aaron Ramsey, I would. I would think, well, I, I don't need to sign this contract. And to be honest, I don't even really need to move this summer because he can look at what happened at Arsenal this season. You know, Alexis Sanchez got the move he wanted in January. Meza Ozil got an absurdly high contract in January. So I do wonder if having witnessed that play out, he and his agent might think, well, we might as well take it into the last 12 months ourselves. So if yeah. he does make that decision... The onus is then on the club, isn't it, to be maybe more firm yeah. and more clear in their planning than they were a year ago. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that perhaps we might see a change of tack from the club in terms of how they deal with these situations, whereby if a player gets to this point and there is no agreement, then we do what we did with Van Persie and we do what we did with Nazri, is that we sell, we take the money and we reinvest? I, I, I hope so. I, I hope so. And I think that's probably likely. I mean, last summer was pre-Mislintat, wasn't it? It was pre-Sanyehi. And, and I can't imagine those guys thinking that it's a smart transfer policy to let Aaron Ramsey potentially leave for nothing. So especially if funds are, as we are continually being told in the media, relatively limited. So I, I think it will come to a head this summer uh, and the club should ensure that it does. Mm. So anything else stand out for you yesterday uh, just from the game or or the manager or you know we've spoken a lot about the manager the... haven't we you know it, it, it feels yeah, like yeah a lot of it 
we've been over already. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, in a way, it's even tricky talking about the team and the way the team's set up because as of Thursday or whatever, that's, you know, not going to mm. be Arsenal's responsibility anymore at all. But I have found it interesting in the last few weeks, there seems to have been a shift away from a 4-2-3-1 to something more resembling a 4-3-3 and that's involved someone like Alex Awobi dropping deeper into a midfield yeah. three and I do wonder if going forward if we if we are to stick with four at the back I do feel a little bit more secure about a system like that but it's difficult to project forward isn't it because we have no idea who's going to be coming in and how they're going to set this team up so it's difficult to derive too many conclusions from what we saw against Huddersfield. Yeah, I mean, there's no point thinking about it or talking about it tactically because it could be all change or should be all change next season Mm. with whoever it is that's going to be in charge. Um, Can we just maybe step back from the sentiment and the goodwill, which I'm enjoying immensely? I don't want to take anything away from, from Arsene Wenger or the enjoyment of that for anybody else, but... Maybe, given it is the final game of the season, it's done, it's dusted, we have finished the season without a trophy, we've finished the season in sixth place, we've finished the season with the worst goals conceded under Arsene Wenger, we've finished the season in the lowest league position ever under Arsene Wenger. Why did you have to do this? I was feeling all nice and fuzzy. (laughs) We can go back to the fuzziness, but I think, you know, if we're going to talk about the good things, we also have to talk about the bad things. And, And if we're having all this goodwill because Arsene Wenger is leaving, those are partly uh, the reasons why, or maybe a big part of the reason why Arsene Wenger is leaving. So, in terms of Absolutely. the season overall, are you are you glad to see the back of it? Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, it's been a very, very tricky season for for a multitude of reasons. I think. I think generally the kind of absence of a title race in the Premier League and actually across most of the major European leagues, if you look at Spain, uh, Germany, France, Italy, a little bit less so, but it's not been the most uh, exciting in terms of challenges at the top of the tables. I think in the Premier League... Uh, our form has obviously been poor and the thing is we haven't even been particularly entertaining it's not like we've been enthralled by the football we've been playing so the results have felt of less consequence Yeah, uh, it has been really tricky and actually yesterday I watched the game at my brother's place and we had a kind of uh, a three screen setup. you know where I was watching kind of uh, other other matches as well at the same time and, uh, you know, watching other teams secure their qualification for the top four. Not Chelsea, does, though. Not Chelsea. Not Chelsea. I mean, I enjoyed that. I had the Newcastle game on. Don't you worry about that. And he <laughs> <laughs> was sat there stewing about it. But um, but they've got an FA Cup finals play next weekend, I guess. And I suppose that's, you know, that can be a little bit of a, a sweetener, as we found out in recent years. Yeah. I just think that, yeah, it, it, it has been a really... It has been a bad season. I think we've underperformed by any measure and uh, there is a huge amount of work to do before next season. So I am glad to see the back of it. And I, you know, you can't sit for years saying, I can't wait for the new era. I think change is desperately needed. And then when it arrives, not be excited and energised by that. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I'm also nervous because, uh, you know, we, we... We don't mm-hmm. have any experience really as a football club over the last 20 years of replacing managers. Um, we don't really know the competence of 
the people making the decisions when it comes to stuff like this at the football club. Obviously, we've made some strides and we put new structures in place. And I think that's exciting. And that's something that gives us a bit of hope in terms of the people we brought in. Sven Mislinta as head of uh, head of recruitment. Raul Sanyehi as the uh, basically director of football. We can call him director of football now rather than head of football relations, which is, uh, which is a ridiculous uh, title. Do you think they will do that? Do you think they'll formally change his job title? Maybe I think it would be it would be a really small petty thing to do. So if they probably Sars- will then. Yeah, so Gazidis so <laughs> will probably do it <laughs> just to show that he's the he's the man in charge again. So look, it's it's on them, and I think what's interesting about what comes next is how much the focus shifts away from the manager. Now, of course, I'm not saying the manager Conky, isn't important. next. Cronky, you're next. But everything, everything has been Arsene Wenger. Everything. Uh, well, for the most part, you know, I, I think down the years I've tried to suggest that there, there's a, a, a more nuanced look at what, what's been going on at Arsenal Football Club, a reluctance from board level to address issues which have been pressing for some time, which needed to be addressed sooner than they have. I mean, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Credit to those people for that. But now, Wenger, this 22-year battle-hardened shield made of solid Wengerium, whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. that they've hidden behind and stood behind for so long and that he's allowed them to, to stand behind as well, we have to say, in that, you know, he could probably have uh, had a word or two um, and said, maybe you should uh, maybe should have a, a chat with those guys above me. Um, assuming he thought they were above him, of course, but that's a different thing. But that's gone now, right? It's gone. So a new manager or a new head coach is going to come in, but the responsibility for all that is on Kroenke. It's on Josh Kroenke. It's on Gazidis. In a big way, it's on Ivan Gazidis. It's on uh, Sven Mislintat. You know, if a player that we bring in is a flop, when you're head of recruitment, you're the guy who's, uh, whose head is on the line, He's right? Be in the line of fire. Yeah, yeah and if we, if we want a guy, if we're after a transfer and somehow we don't get the deal done, then that's on, the, that's on the director of football because that's his job is to go and get those players and sign those players and bring them in. Obviously, within the constraints that they're allowed to work with by the owner or the majority shareholder, which is uh, Stan Kroenke. And obviously, Josh Kroenke, I think, will be running, uh, taking a, a more hands-on approach with Arsenal mm. uh, than Stan. So those are the people now who are going to forge the future of this football club. And that in itself is an interesting thing because rather than it being one man, rather than it being Wenger in or Wenger out um, for for people who like to live at those extremes, it becomes a bit more complicated. Do you not think? Yeah, it does. I mean, there's a, a dissolution of power to a certain extent. I mean, I, I do think that Arsene Wenger, you know, in a way, I, I don't want him to sound too much like a martyr because I think he, you know, it was a flaw within him that he didn't uh, really permit people with this kind of executive power to come into the club. Uh, I, I don't think he was particularly open to that idea during the last few years of his management. Once David Dean went, I feel like, you know, no one else was ever really quite good enough for him. But if you look back at the Arsenal board, of Dean's time with, you know, Dean, Fisman, Edelman. Uh, of course, those guys aren't all football people, but there was more of a sense of a, 
mm, a collective responsibility for the destiny of Arsenal Football Club. And we are moving back towards that now, even on the playing side. So I, I view that as a, a positive thing. But I, they will be nervous. I mean, Gazidis will be nervous. He's got this is a huge deal making this appointment. It is, it's massive. It's the biggest moment in Arsenal's history in the last twenty-two years. It's, the, it? so, it's the biggest moment in his Arsenal career. Absolutely, it's it's what he was presumably when he came into the club. It's a moment he was thinking about then, and he's had an awful long time to think about it since then. So uh, it's. It's massive. It's massive. Let me, and let me ask you, just uh, while we're on this, yeah, we know it's going to be a board decision, but mm. when it comes to the appointment of a manager, you know, is it that democratic a process? Are they do they sit around and you know discuss this guy, that guy, that guy, and then come to a consensus, or is there somebody who who is taking the lead in this? Is it going to be Ivan Gazidis who is seen to be the man who says this is the guy that we need, and I'm going to convince the board that that he's the right man? Is that the way you think it's wor- it's going to work, or will it be more of a democratic thing where they have? They have Allegri, they have Arteta, they have whatever other names they have on their shortlist, and they discuss them, they look at the context, they look at the situation, they look at availability and all those things, and then they come to a decision collectively to to make the new appointment. How, how do you feel it's going to work? And is, is that going to be understood by the fans? I mean, do you think it's important for them to communicate the process to the fans? I think when they make an appointment, it's really vital that they... Uh, kind of lay out why they've chosen the person they've chosen in a more convincing fashion than the kind of press releases we saw after Arsene Wenger's contract extension last year. I think that there needs to be a rationale and a logic, particularly if it's an appointment that people aren't necessarily expecting or that you know catches some people a little bit off guard. As for the process, I... I it would be guesswork, really. But when I look at the fact that Arsene Wenger's deal was extended last year, that did not appear to be a board decision, certainly not a unanimous board decision. That felt like the Cronkies uh, making a call. And I do wonder, you know, Josh has been overspending time with the club and obviously um, is in an incredibly influential position. I do wonder if it will be ultimately his say that goes. That would be my guess at it just because I feel like if 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 Ivan got what Ivan wanted this would have happened before now you know so I don't necessarily know if he's quite as powerful mm. as uh, he might like to make it look as if he is yeah 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 I mean how, how do you feel they went about this this decision to inform Arsene Wenger that he, he could make the decision or it would go another way do you think they did that because it was just time for that to happen or did they do it with the knowledge that they have somebody in mind to take over or was it a case right well, we, we just it, have to get this done and then we can make a decision about who to bring in well this is kind of what i mean for all the talk about process and you know that's that's corporate speak really we want to have a process you know we want to headhunt and research and recruit Arsenal have known Arsene Wenger was going to go at some point soon for the best part of five years. Ivan Gazidis has known it pretty much since the day he walked in the door that eventually he would have to appoint a successor to Arsene Wenger if he stayed in the job. And it seems that's his clear intention to do so. 
I find it very difficult to believe that when they went into Arsene Wenger and said, time's up, that somebody there didn't have a very clear idea who they wanted to come in. It would be, in my opinion, absurd if they didn't have a target in mind. Don't you think? Yeah, kind of. But then, yeah. Yeah, I guess. That, that's logical. We're constantly told that's how football works. And and that, as my understanding is, that is how football works. You know, you... you I know this is a unique situation. I know it's very, very unusual, but I just... Even if it's not official, even if it's not formal, there's no way they haven't thought about it or discussed it, surely. No, they, they must have. I just wonder how informal it is or how far down the yeah. road they are with potential candidates or replacements because a lot of it is to do with availability and who is out there. What they've done... Um, maybe is is decide that it's time for a change either way, whether they have somebody fixed or not. You know? I, mm. I have a feeling that's kind of kind of how it's gone. That they've been not forced into it, but it got to a point where there was no other way of dealing with the situation other than to bring Arsene Wenger's time at the club to an end. And after that then you go, okay, well, we've talked about this guy. We've talked, is he available? Is that guy available? What, what do you think about this? What if we went that way? You know, I'm not sure that they made that decision to, to uh, call time on Arsene Wenger, knowing that they have 100% a candidate who is ready, willing, and able to take the job. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Maybe not, but I think because we were in the position we were in 12 months ago where Arsene was coming towards the end of his contract, I think as a sort of matter of diligence, essentially, Arsenal must have explored potential options at that point because there was so much uncertainty uh, heading into those final few months of the season. And I do wonder to what extent... I know, you know, things can change a lot in football in the space of a year, but I do... I imagine that work then has heavily influenced the process at this point. You know what I mean? That there, yeah. there were probably candidates identified a year ago who are still on the table. I mean, Allegri, depending on who you believe, appears to be one of those. You know, there's a lot of talk that he had some kind of contact with Arsenal a year or so ago. And actually, as it transpires, that timing might have been uh, better for him than, than this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he has said over the weekend that unless he's sacked by Juventus, he will be staying with them next season. So that appears to rule him out. Um, we know things can change and we know how, how rapidly things can change uh, in football. But that's fairly uh, unequivocal, isn't it? When you say when you say mm. something like that and when you've won your fourth Scudetto in a row, chances are you're not going to be sacked. That's not, that's not say, sackable yeah. territory, you know? No, I, that would be unlikely. And Allegri is someone who is given to being quite cryptic on his future and leaving things quite open. So for him to be definite uh, feels like this, there must be substance to that. You know, ultimately, mm. if he has been in, in negotiations with Juventus, it sounds as if he, he's got what he wants from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look, anything else before we go into questions? Because there's a lot of questions and a lot of people have a lot of things to ask, uh, both about Arsene Wenger and what might happen next. Um, so will we do that or do you have anything else you want to talk about? Just uh, want to say another uh, another goodbye, really, and one that's mm. unequivocally happy, and that's to Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Yeah, you didn't get a chance to do that last week. Uh, no, you I didn't away. get a chance to do that last week. 
and they've had formerly had their last Premier League fixture, hopefully, ever. I'd really love it if there was their last Premier League fixture ever. It'd be great, wouldn't it? What a wonderful way to end part one of this Arscast Extra. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Before we get into this, just want to say thank you to everybody who bought tickets for the live Arscast Extra taking part, taking part, taking place in the bar at Union Chapel next Monday night, Monday 21st of May. We put tickets on sale for our Patreon members first. They sold out in a flat. We put a few more on sale uh, for them and also uh, a few more uh, on sale to uh, general sale, I guess. And uh, they went really, really quickly as well. So demand was super high. So apologies if you didn't get any tickets. If you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, you get access to those tickets first. So that might be something to consider. You also get a discount on those tickets too. Uh, But we will look for perhaps a slightly bigger venue next time around. Maybe we can do something downstairs in Union Chapel. It was just a bit too quick to organize that. Nevertheless, we're looking forward to seeing uh, everybody there. It'll be myself and James, uh, Amy Lawrence, Philippe O'Claire, talking about the end of an era, talking about the beginning of a new era. Uh, there'll be some beers, some questions, and uh, it should be a fun night. Yeah, lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. There really is. Um, but shall we say in that, shall we crack on into some yeah. questions? Have you got one lined up? I've got a, like a, a few lined up here because we, we're we hearing a lot about Mikel Arteta as the potential replacement for Arsene Wenger. A week ago, I'm not, I'm not um, advocating betting here. I'm not trying to promote gambling or anything like that. But a week ago, Mikel Arteta sure. was 20 to 1 with Betfair to be the new Arsenal manager. He's now at 3 to 2. So the odds have uh, shortened considerably. Now, how seriously we can take that, I'm not quite sure. But with Allegri saying he's staying, with uh, some of the things Ivan Gazeta said um, when he spoke about appointing a new manager, about having to be bold, etc., etc., a lot of the signs are pointing pointing towards Mikel Arteta. And there are a range of opinions and questions on this from the very simple, from Cod Chops, which is your views on Arteta as manager, 
We have mm-hmm. Barry, who's at Barry CCR, who says, is Arteta really as bad a candidate as everyone makes out? His knowledge of the club should make up for his lack of experience. Plus, he is obviously serious about his coaching, unlike Thierry Henry, for example. Brad Stevenson says, uh, the pessimist in me says appointing Arteta gives Gazidis the control he desires. A yes man. Allegri would show we mean business in the transfer market, in the league and in Europe. I want to feel positive. But is Mikel just a painstakingly obvious metaphor that we are Everton? Oh, man. Mm. Wow, lots of questions. I mean, I have to be honest, um, I sort of tweeted, I think, yesterday saying that I thought, you know, there was a lot of momentum gathering behind this Arteta story. And I was surprised at the scale of the displeasure that I discovered in response to that tweet. I, right. I don't know if it's just my following, but... I, you know, scrolling through my replies, a lot of people were very alarmed about the prospect of Mikel Arteta. Can you like can you understand that though? Because he is a guy yeah. who has never managed a football club before. We people hold up this example of uh, v, uh, uh, Vieira. I was going to say Zidane and also. Pep Guardiola, but, you know, they failed to mention that Zidane and Guardiola were both managers of the Real Madrid and Barcelona B teams. Not for very long, but they still had that little bit of management experience. So can you understand why people would have such reservations? Yes. And uh, I also think when people go, well, had you heard of Arsene Wenger? I think that's sort of a redundant point. I mean, my ignorance about Arsene Wenger does not take away from the fact that he had done a fantastic job at Monaco and that he was by that point actually a pretty experienced manager with a continental reputation. Um, I have a few concerns about Mikel Arteta. I mean, not having managed a game before (laughs) is definitely on the list. Uh, Also on the list for me is... And maybe this is unfair, but I guess kind of his affiliation with the most recent regime. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, he has ties to the club, to the recent history of the club. You know, he he knows people in this squad of players. They have been teammates of his, uh, friends of his. And for me, I, I think instinctively I prefer the idea of someone coming in with pure objectivity and and looking at this. You know, I I think Arsene Wenger has maybe been guilty of uh, being too loyal to this group or having too much faith in this group. So I I have always in my mind, like the idea of someone without attachment to the group coming in and trying to reach sort of objective assessment about some of the individuals within it. Sure. Um, I mean, we have a question there as well from uh, Dromore Villa, who is at eCodec, who says, how is Arteta going to deal with some of the players? Even when he was playing, he was not a leader, which I think is a bit harsh. These players need a manager to shake them up. We don't need a yes man. I mean, people have concerns about his ability to to deal with with players that he knows and knows well because he's played with them and he's captained them, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the, the other side of that perhaps is that in order to to position yourself as a manager, it's not that you would go easy on these guys. Maybe maybe you have to go a bit harder. Maybe that's part of why they, w- they might think about bringing him in. Yeah, I mean, a, a comparable situation is is you know when players have become managers so if i think back to chelsea in the 90s um guys like rude hulley and Gianluca Vialli were actually by all accounts really really popular in the dressing room but really really unpopular when they became managers because i think they understood that they had to 
take that distance uh, and, you know... build that barrier up having having been one of the guys suddenly you have to re-establish yourself in a different role i just think i'm not saying he can't do it i'm just saying that it rings some alarm bells for me it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like the clean break that i maybe yeah. hoped for yeah no no i get what you're saying there i do get what you're saying but you know we've spoken a number of times about how the club need to uh, bring in people who who understand the club as well to an extent, right? So is there not this... That is true, that is true. This need to to uphold some of the traditions that we enjoy as Arsenal fans, whether that's focus on the youth players or, or the values and the traditions and all those kind of things, that if you get somebody in who knows what they're about and who did make a very strong connection with the club while he was here. I mean, people um, have this idea, I think, of Arteta being a super Mr. Nice Guy. And from what I'm told, he was a very popular captain, very popular player who worked hard, you know, to try and make the squad as as uh, as good a place as it could be for everybody. He was welcoming and all those things. But from what I hear, he wasn't as universally popular as people think because he has this little bit of an edge to his character. Like he can be a bit of a, you know, I don't want to call him a bad name or anything, but you know what I'm going to say. He just can be that kind of a guy from time to time, whether it's arrogance or whether it's something else, I I can't fully say. But I do know that it's not a case that Mikel Arteta is going to come in and they're all going to sit around on beanbags drinking cans of beer together. It's not that situation. No, I'm certain of that. I'm sure that's true. I suppose it's just, and I agree with you, in principle, about the idea of bringing someone in who understands the club and has that affiliation and knows the history. I, I just can't help. My gut instinct, if you gave me Mikel Arteta or you gave me, say, Patrick Vieira, mm-hmm. uh, I would say, well, one of those is a manager and one of those I associate with a period in the club's history that, A, is at a little bit more of a distance so that none of these players were associated with it and, B, was actually far more successful period in the club's history um so i i am that more naturally drawn i think of the two candidates to to patrick vieira um however of course i am not privy i've never sat down with michael arteta and talked about tactics do you know what i mean so there's a whole gray area here that we we can't fill in that gap we don't know what he knows yeah yeah, I mean, true, uh-huh. true. I mean, we know he's had a good, really good footballing education. We know that. That's what we can say. He was brought up at Barcelona, so he knows the Barcelona way. He played uh, under Arsene Wenger for, uh, you know, for five years. There's a lot to mm. learn from Arsene Wenger in that time. He obviously played for Walter Smith. I mean, one of the greats. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's had two years. he's had two years under Pep Guardiola, who is... I would say not an easy person to work with because he's so demanding because he's got ideas and he wants things to be done his way that there's a lot to learn from that in itself that if you want to impose your way or your footballing philosophy on a team this is how you do it different ways of man managing people different ways of managing different players you know Wenger I would say is a bit more um, avuncular perhaps or a bit more Mm. understanding a bit more willing to let things go, whereas Guardiola absolutely is not. You know, he demands perfection on the training ground day in, day out. And, you know, I think we can we can see that in terms of formation and development, that's a decent way for a guy who wants to be a manager to go, right? 
I don't think there's any doubt about that. And perhaps, you know, he's, he's always struck me as a smart guy, a guy who speaks about football well. Um, but the big, big drawback, of course, is, is inexperience. And inexperience when you're taking on a job as big as Arsenal is a, is got to be a huge consideration. Like I again, I'm not saying he can't do it, uh, and I would I would actually quite like him to do it in a way. I think it would be great if Arsenal brought in Mikel Arteta and people went, well, this is a bad idea, this is terrible, and all of a sudden this this turns out to be a fantastic thing for us and we we make progress as a football club. I'd love it. I mean, it's just kind of romantic, right? But we ha- mm. we have to sometimes move away from romantic to pragmatic when we make decisions. And yes. I, I feel like it would be it would be a huge risk, wouldn't it? Just bringing in a guy who has never managed a football club before, even if you give him these structures, you give him the director of football, you give him the head of recruitment, you give him a chief executive who is, by all accounts, going to take a more active role in football matters, for good or bad, that remains to be seen, right? It's still a big, big risk and a, a, a lot to ask of a guy who's never managed a club before. It is. I mean, I do think he's probably accumulated some great experience in the past couple of years. And funnily enough, when he went to Man City, I probably lamented the fact well, like we should have kept hold of him. And now somewhat ironically, I probably feel much better about Arteta now having had him for t- at Man City with Guardiola for two years than I would have done if he'd stuck around at Arsenal. Uh, I think if he had stuck around at Arsenal, I probably wouldn't want him to be... Uh, associated with the job because he'd be very tied to to what's happened here in in the last couple of seasons. Mm. I um I do understand people's reservations though. I, I think that nobody, I don't think many people question Arteta's character or you know the quality of the guy. I think he was a really really popular player here in an era where it's quite tricky as a player to be yeah. popular at Arsenal. Um. But I just think it's such a huge call, and I and I and I don't think actually that it's being a bad fan or not being supportive to raise an eyebrow and be a little bit concerned at the prospect of appointing a guy who's never managed a, a game of football yeah. in his life. Yeah, have, I mean, have I, you managed one game in your life? As Arthur Wenger <laughs> would say. <laughs> I mean, look, anybody who takes an absolute position on this, uh, you know, or an extreme position, or or, or what have you, um, I think you've got to be open to to various things, but. You know, it's not, it's clearly not the kind of appointment that is going to unite the fan base. It is going to prove divisive uh, by its very nature. I mean, we're seeing it. I know it's only social media, and we can't uh, read everything into mm. uh, to 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 the way people think by what they say on Twitter. But you know, you can see it, and I can see it, and everybody who's on Twitter or Facebook uh, can see it. Is that some people will go, "Yes, this is great." Some people will go, "Ooh, I don't know about this. This could be a bit risky." And other people will go, "No, absolutely not. This is absurd. This is a terrible, terrible idea." Whereas, if, for example, you bring in a manager. Uh, who's won the title in Italy four years on the trot, who's got a track record of management, who's got a track record of success, who in many ways could address the issues that we see within our squad in terms of how it defends, uh, in terms of where the the refocus needs to be on what needs to be rebuilt. You know, there wouldn't be too many... People would have reservations, of course, but I just don't think it would be as as divisive an appointment because you can make a lot more sense of somebody like Allegri than you can of somebody like Arteta. Yeah, of course. There's there's a lot more clear justification, I suppose, for that move. 
I mean, do you think, do you get the sense, I know the betting odds are only an indicator, but do you get the sense that this is the way it's going? Seems to be, unless unless there's something we don't know or somebody out there we haven't heard of yet. There is that possibility as well that, you know, the shortlist doesn't appear to be that long at this moment in time. If Allegri is staying in, in Italy, who else is there? Who's out there that we're being linked to on a regular yeah. basis? It seems to be Arteta or nothing else. Um, there have got to be other options. Vieira, you mentioned, of course, he's been he's been mentioned as, as a potential replacement. We don't know how serious that is. Um after that, Jardim thing's gone very quiet. Hasn't yeah, it? Uh, fortunately, Brendan's gone very quiet. <laughs> yeah, fortunately. Um, so you know, there there could well be something that we don't know, and we could be surprised by an appointment that we don't expect. That would be also quite Arsenal. What about that last question that we had about you know us sort of basically turning into Everton? I mean, do you worry that this appointment is one that lacks ambition? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you could say it is it's super ambitious. It's on the one super hand, super ambitious yeah. <laughs> because we're 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 identifying somebody that we believe has the talent and potential to take this club back to where we want it to be. Even though he has never managed uh, a football club in his life, it would be a risk, but it would be brave. You couldn't argue it would be brave. Some people might say there's a thin line between bravery and stupidity, right? But you can't. You can't say that it is the big-name manager that people wanted. And look, there's no guarantee, of course, that a big-name manager would, would bring you back to where you want to be either. But after so many years of frustration to... I'm not going to say... What's the word I want to use here? Like... What were you going to say? No, what, what I was going to say was, do the club need to bear in mind or take into account what fans think of the appointment? It's a Mm. serious question, this. Because if they truly believe, with all the background that they'll do on Arteta, by talking to Arteta, by talking to Guardiola, for example, by talking to Wenger, I suppose, in some ways as well, with all the knowledge that we don't have, if they decide that Arteta is the right man for the job, does the fact that lots of people on Twitter aren't convinced, is that something they should take into account? Do they have a responsibility to appoint the best man or do they have a responsibility to heal division in the fan base with an appointment that perhaps they're not that convinced by but which might go down better with fans? Do you know where I'm coming from with that? Yeah. Well, I think in an ideal world, they, they appoint the best man. I yeah. think that's what you want the custodians of the club to do. I think that the the question the question sort of is is Arteta being appointed because he's the best man or is it because he's eight million quid cheaper than Luis Enrique? Do you see what I mean? Like it's like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. you know he he doesn't have the authority to to challenge Gazidis and Mittlantat and and mm. company. Um, it's really really difficult to know, and unfortunately, any new manager coming in you can't predict exactly how they're going to get on. It's just a really difficult situation, this one, because we can't even go on past evidence. We can't even look at yeah. a Mikel Arteta team and say, well, you know, they set up like this and they've achieved this in the past. We are projecting 
we're projecting all sorts of things onto him as a coach. And as we found out with Steve Bold, that the way someone plays and the way someone coaches are not always in simpatico, are they? They're not always uh, associated particularly. Yeah, I did see a... Uh a thing going around about Arteta from a couple of years ago. Yeah, here it is. I'll read this out. Actually, I found it. It's Arteta on what kind of a manager he would be. And he's, he's asked a question by the official website. Let's imagine that you take over Mikel Arteta FC tomorrow. What will the ideas behind it be? And he says... My philosophy will be clear. I will have everyone 120% committed. That's the first thing. If not, you don't play for me. When it's time to work, it's time to work. And when it's time to fund, then I'm the first one to do it. But that commitment is vital. I want the football to be expressive, entertaining. I cannot have a concept of football where everything is based on the opposition. We have to dictate the game. We have to be the ones taking the initiative. And we have to entertain the people coming to watch us. I'm 100% of those things, and I think I could do it. That, to me, sounds like a guy, or I could imagine Ivan Gazidis, you know, getting on board with that. Swooning. Yeah, swooning. I was thinking of a much darker image, but swooning would be... (laughs) Yeah, but he doesn't mention way. anything about the defence. That's one of my other concerns. Yeah, 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 true. <laughs> he say, and the defence will be really organised and yeah. solid. We'll defend <laughs> like bastards. Of, yeah, I, 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 and we will dictate the game, but we will do lots of research on the opposition as well. <laughs> I mean, look, he must... We know about Pep. We know what Pep is like. We know how obsessive he is about every fixture we have to hope that that has rubbed off on him as much as Ivan Gazidis did in that meeting. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like uh, as much as uh, Arsene Wenger's, you know, philosophy of dictating the play and controlling the possession. But we're, we're hoping we're not, we're not, we don't, we're grasping at straws. We, we literally don't know, do we? Yeah, but I mean, what 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 that appointment would do for Ivan Gazidis? Like, it's uh, completely sink or swim, no safety net appointment for Gazidis. It's a roll of the dice. It's a, it makes him it's, a maverick. It ma- it's a huge call, and it's he's either going to be a genius or a fool. Yeah, and if he if it doesn't work, he's out in his ear. I think. Yeah. Right. So, is Gazidis prepared to take that risk? What we know from Gazidis is that he talks a good game, says a lot. But we don't really know how committed he is to whatever football philosophy he has or whatever he thinks, because all we know is that he can talk and talk and talk and you come out of it going, well, that sounded really quite good. And then at the end you go, what, what, what did he actually, what did he say though? What, what, what did any of it mean? Mm. Um, so it, would it be out of character is what I'm asking you for Gazidis to go, right, I've got one go at this. And I'm going to go all in on Mikel Arteta or, you know, we could make a more safety first approach, which gives me a chance if it doesn't work out to say, well, it was always going to be a tough gig taking over from Arsene Wenger. You know, the first man didn't make it. You know, look at look at the problem Manchester United had when Alex Ferguson left. They appointed David Moyes and then Louis van Gaal. You know, it takes time for big clubs to get themselves back on track again. If it, you know, if I had to put money on it, I would probably say that would be Gazidis's outlook more than the make or break Arteta appointment. I could be wrong, it, but 
It would be a bit out of character from what we know of him, definitely. Um, but then he's never really been in the position with this kind of authority before. Yeah. Well, isn't that the thing as well? We don't know what anybody's going to do because we haven't done this before. We don't, we've no frame of reference for any of this. No, no. I mean, it's, it's, when you're in this position of uncertainty, I guess you want to be able to fall back on certain known quantities, whether that's, you know, trophies that a manager has won or, you know, something they've done elsewhere. You want to be able to go, well, obviously we don't know what the future holds, but here is evidence that suggests we're making a smart strategic move. Yeah. And if, if we opt for Arteta, as fans, we don't have access to that evidence because we're not in Man City's training sessions. True. And we're not in... Mikel Arteta's job interview. Yeah. So it, as fans, it is an insecure position for us to be in. And what it means is we have to trust mm. the people making that decision. And that is very scary and we don't want to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because we don't have any real basis on which to yeah. trust them because of the way they behaved in the past. You know, ultimately what it boils down to is like... Uh, it's not unreasonable in any way, is it, to be concerned about Mikel Arteta being given the job? If he gets the job, no. okay, you have your chance. And please, please, please make it work. It would be absolutely great if you did. But we can't ignore the fact that giving him the job would be a massive, massive risk. And he would know that. Yeah, of course. I'm sure he would be wise enough to know that it would be almost an unprecedented thing for a guy to walk into a job like that. Uh, I do fear for him. If it goes that way, I do fear for him because what's clear, seeing the way this debate is playing out online, is that you know the divisions among the fan base do exist, and there are sections of the support that are you know that will have no hesitation in in letting people know that they're not happy about it if it starts to go wrong. So I, I fear that it could be a very intense period of scrutiny that he comes under, but. Everyone knows that going in. Mm. Everyone knows that going in. Mm. Well, look, it's certainly going to be interesting, isn't it? Uh, because, you know, as much as we don't have any frame of reference, we don't have any experience of it either. So it's going to be a whole new thing and a whole new world of speculation and, and everything else that's going to come over the next uh, mm. over the next few weeks until the appointment is made. So we might just, you know, leave that discussion there for now. I don't know that there's much more we can say about Arteta uh, that, that we haven't already no. said in this. So will we fire through a, a few uh, a few other questions? Yeah, well, I had this question, which isn't about the, the Arteta per se, but it's about some of the other staff. And Geraint Williams asked it, who's at G-W-N-N-E-R on Twitter. Gwena. Uh, and he said, Bold and Lehman are the two of the first team coaches not released, uh, with Per at the academy, Jungberg returning. Are these wise moves by Gazidis or just good PR after years of people saying we need to get the ex-players involved? Um, I don't know what it is. What did you make of that sort of night of the long knives at Colney and, and who was let go and, and who stayed on? What did you make it's, of all that? It's normal. I mean, I think when a manager leaves, most of his coaching staff leave with him. You know, mm. I think that's that's absolutely normal. So uh, there was nothing... I was surprised about Steve Bold staying on, if I'm honest with you. So was I. So was I. And I don't know that Steve Bold will stay on. You know, they might offer him the chance, but he might decide that he wants to do something else with his career now. Because does he mm. want to be an assistant forever or a defensive coach or whatever it might be? He might, uh, as much as anything, feel like it's time for for a new start. Uh, you know, I've heard it. Uh, I've heard it whispered before that you know he he wouldn't have been averse to 
to trying something new during his time uh, as assistant manager uh, under Arsene Wenger. So it wouldn't be a surprise to me if Steve Bold also left and went on to to manage somewhere. Who knows? Um, as for the rest of the staff, it's just normal. Their contracts are tied to the manager's contract. When the manager goes, they usually go. Jens Lehmann only arrived back um, last year. I think that's... I think it's a reasonable thing to keep him on because he's only he's only starting his coaching career. We have had this dearth of people who who understand the club and who've won things at the club. We've been criticised down the years for not having those people at the club in various capacities. So if there's a, a place for Jens Lehmann, then I'm absolutely okay with that. There's no no problem. If Freddie is coming back to be a youth coach, then I've got no problem with that either. I think that's uh, that's a good thing because these guys have this experience of Arsenal. They have an experience of winning things with Arsenal that could be invaluable to young players and to the first team coaches that we have. Um, you know, players look at other players who've won things and achieved things in their careers and they want to learn from them. So... You know, I, I don't really have any issue with that at all. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think those decisions, the fact that those decisions have been made, says anything about whether or not the new manager is in place yet? You know, do you think that the, mm. a discussion about Steve Bold would have had to have taken place with a prospective uh, successor? Possibly, but we don't know what role they're pre- proposing for Steve Bold. That's true. You know, yeah. we don't know if they're saying, we want Steve Bold to be your assistant manager, or... Rather a case that, look, Steve, if the new manager wants to keep you and you want to stay, can we do that? That might be all it is. That might be all it is. So we, we don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, It'd be nice to see Freddie back, though, yeah. when, if, when that happens. It seems to be happening. Yeah, it seems to be. Although apparently I saw people say that he denied it on Swedish TV. But the uh, David Ornstein said that uh, it's done deal. So we'll just have to wait and see. Maybe Freddie's just uh, playing it, uh, playing his cards close to his chest. Here's a question from Brendan Clark, who's at Brendan Clark 95 He said, what did you make of Henri's interview about Arsene Wenger? There was a really uh, good video, Thierry Henry, talking about Arsene Wenger... V- released via the Arsenal website. What did you make of that? I thought it was great. I thought it was great. And he made a really fantastic point at the, towards the end of the interview where he talks about how he as a player never gave a thought to how Arsene was. You know, he never went into Arsene's office and said, how are you? How are you feeling under the pressure? And he was saying, as players and to an extent as fans, we don't often think about the man behind the job. Um, and I just thought it brought a really human element to their relationship. And it, it was it was a great interview and it was clear. I mean, Thierry was obviously very emotional talking about Arsene Wenger's influence, on, not just on his career, but on his life more generally. And I enjoyed it because I have to say, I, I didn't have that much time for people saying, Henri, you know, it's disgrace or whatever that he wasn't at the, the Burnley game. I mean, there was a lot of players who weren't there. Do you know what I mean? I just yeah. think it's an odd... I thought that yeah, I thought it was really, really weird. You know, the day was about Arsene Wenger. Yeah, some of the players being there was nice, but absolutely and utterly secondary to what that day was about. And the idea Mm. that Thierry Henry and Arsene Wenger's relationship is somehow dependent on him turning up to parade around a pitch. You know, the ex-players didn't really do much other than come out on the pitch and do a bit of clapping. They weren't there to do anything. 
So um, I, I just couldn't understand why people were so bent out of shape about that. I really didn't. I thought the interview, like you, I thought the interview was absolutely fantastic. He spoke really, really, um, what's the word? Emo- not even emotionally, intelligently about Arsene Wenger and about the demands mm-hmm. of a coach. You know, he, he said, what did he say at one point? He said, I was a pain in the arse and I'm only one yeah. and he's got to deal with all of those. And nobody thinks about that. And they say, oh, he gets he- this money, he gets that money, but they don't understand how much is involved in the job. 25 footballers, 25 egos, 25 millionaires. You know, it's not easy to, to do that job. And we forget, I think, and we've spoken about it before, the human element to all of this. He's not just a football manager. He is a man. He is a person. And, uh, you know, it, it's easy to forget that at times. And I think Henri brought that across really, really well. He did. He sounded like a man who's recently embarked on a coaching career and he's finding out how difficult it can be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely worth checking out. I think it's on Arsenal's YouTube channel. And also while you're there, the club have put together a sort of 12-minute film yeah. um, sort of, you know, running through Arsene Wenger's uh, career at Arsenal and that's well worth a watch as well. They've, they've really made something really lovely there. Yeah, I've got to say... Uh, that the media team at Arsenal, the people who make those videos and who, who manage the social and uh, the website and everything mm. else have done a really, really fantastic job over the last uh, couple of weeks. Since the, annou- the announcement was made, we've seen some brilliant, I hate to use the word content, but that's what it is. We've seen some great videos, some great articles, really beautifully uh, shot, put together, some great pictures, of course, from the from the photographers. Um, so credit where it's due it's uh, it's made this long goodbye it's uh, it's really uh, augmented that and and made it a more enjoyable experience a multi-platform uh, goodbye to Arsene Wenger I've I've enjoyed the synergy of it a great deal <laughs> <laughs> no, they've done a terrific job yeah. take my hat off yep, to yep, yep, yep. Um, this question is from festive Lauren who's at D underscore Espinosa on Twitter and they ask, what are your performance expectations of the new manager? I had that one, Mark, too. It's a really good question. Yeah. I think first and foremost, get the team back into the top four and into the Champions League. I, I don't think it's realistic to say, take this group of players that has performed poorly this season and make them title contenders within a season. You know, even Pep Guardiola. Yeah, I mean, Arsene keeps saying that. But. Yeah, no, I don't know where he's... <laughs> I don't see it. No, I don't see it either. You know, two or three players, he says, and we could... You no, know, no, we need more than two or three players. You know, I think the, the, the expectation is to get the team back into the top four and into the Champions League to make it competitive again and to address some of the issues that we have because we have a tendency to think everything is bad. Don't we? We, we? we focus on the negatives quite a lot. We think everything is awful and there's no way to make things right again. But there are good things. There are positive things. There are good players in this squad. So it's about getting more out of what we have, you know, buying intelligently, bringing in uh, good players, um, sorting out the defense. You know, it's a big job mm-hmm. there, um, but making us more defensively solid. And just, I suppose giving us something to to hang on to, to hope, um, to make things different in a way. 
even if we're not going to do it all perfectly, you know, what we do badly, do it badly in a different way. But I think just make progress. Get us back up the table. Make us a title contender, if not a title winner. And and start building us back towards a position where we can, you know, we can be in April or May, perhaps, and our season isn't over, rather than October or September even. You know, those kind of things where we have hope throughout a season, where we have, um, I, I don't know, just hope that we could win. Well, yeah. a sense of progress, I think. Yeah. A feeling like we're moving forwards, not backwards, I think is essential. And, you know, next season, I think aiming for the top four and getting into that top four is, I think that would be enough. I think that, I, I, I do think that's going to be really tough. I don't look at the teams above us and think, well, they're all about to collapse. You know, I think we, we're we the ones who the onus is on to make improvements. Um, there's plenty of room for it, but I think top four has to be has to be what's asked of the new manager. Yeah. And, I, and I actually don't think that will be easy. You know, Arsene Wenger can talk about potential title challenges, but I think that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, look, that will be it. That will be progress. That would definitely be progress, and I think that's what we've got to to aim for and to uh, to make progress season after season. You know, the idea that Wenger going will instantly turn us into champions, which I think some people have this misguided belief that that will be the case, is not going to happen. Mm. That's that's just fanciful. But if we can bring somebody in who can tighten things up, make us better, get us back into the top four, into the Champions League, who could maybe make us uh, a bit more um, competitive in Europe as well, because it's one thing getting back into the Champions League. What we don't want is to go out in the round of 16 again and again and again and again and, you know, just sort of start repeating the, the, the same old things. But I think, you know, with a new manager, things will be different regardless of, of how it goes, they would, would, by their very nature, will be different. And I think that will, that will be something that we can, when we can hang on to. So here's one from Sam Passmore, who's uh, at Sam Passmore underscore. He says, when the book, you know the book I'm talking about, when the book comes mm-hmm. out, would you rather read Arsene's take on tales from behind the dressing room door or the philosophy of life and football? I have to say, as much as I enjoy his philosophizing, it's got to be tales from behind the dressing room door. I mean, uh, do you know what I mean? As a a football fan, first of all, I like Arsene the man, but it's Arsene the manager who who captivated me most. And there's, I just, I I hold my hands up. I want the juicy gossip, guys. That's what it's all about for me. Yeah, absolutely. Get down and dirty with all that gossip. I want it all. Nuts and bolts and Mm. everything. I want all of that. You know, the philosophy we know. We can go and read that brilliant uh, interview he did with Lekeep where he talks about, you know, his philosophy of football, his philosophy of life, and, you know, what, what's the great quote? I try to bring out what is beautiful in man. Brilliant. I love it. But tell me how much of a cunt William Gallas was. You know, yeah. to do those kind of things. Like, I want to know about um, I want to know about Aaron Ramsey knocking out Robin Van Persie with a punch. You know, I want to hear all those things that have been unreported. I want to know Chu Young Park, why? Why? What? What? Come on, why? Arson, tell me what I want to know all of it. All the bits, all the gruesome, dirty gossip. That's what I want. Mm. I'm I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. The philosophy, you know, maybe a chapter on that, great. But the rest, I want it to be about Robin Van Persie and what really went on and all mm. those kinds of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 
Well, this is a question that we had from a couple of people, but uh, I'll choose this one. It's from Toby at Toby W underscore W. And Toby says, what do we do now? Uh, we we just kind of keep going because that's what happens. Just because we're not used to it doesn't mean that we're going through something that lots of other people haven't gone through before. What happens is, True. and what we do now is we wait, we get a new manager, we wait and see what the new manager is like, uh, we decide he's an absolute wanker, and then we hound Boom. him out uh, <laughs> within six months, and then we set fire to the stadium. No, I mean, look, we just take it as it comes. That's all you can do. That is all you can do, is you take it as it comes. You see who's coming in. You see who the club bring in. You see how ambitious they're going to be in the transfer market. You see what kind of footballing uh, philosophy, for want of a better word, this new guy has, how he impacts the team, and you go with it. We're getting off one mm. roller coaster that we've been on loads of times, and we're getting on a brand new roller coaster, and we don't know what that roller coaster is going to be like. It could be great. It could mm. be shit. It could be somewhere in the middle, but it is a different roller coaster. And that's that's it. That's what we have to do. So uh, that's all we can do, really. So yeah, we've got to we've got to try and enjoy the ride, basically. Absolutely. And uh, let me think, have I got a couple more quick ones here? Uh, I had so many about Mikel Arteta, but then we just we sort of dealt with all those okay, subjects. You know okay, I mean? here's one from Anna, who's at Mertesacker with a four, who says, I'm sure there'll be lots of talk about Arsene Wenger and the new mystery boss. So I'll ask instead, what is your favourite BFG moment? Oh, it's got to be the goal in the FA Cup semi-final against Wigan. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Just because it, it was so important, wasn't it? Uh, it was crucial. Um I quite enjoyed his little celebration with Theo Walcott as well, where they sort of bounced off each other. I just found that a very comic image. Was that in the 2017 final? Um, yeah, they did that throughout yeah, the season. Yeah, my favourite moments got to be... Yeah, oh, they did it throughout the season, yeah. I mean, there was North London derby goal was his first mm. Arsenal goal, but I'm going to go for the FA Cup semi-final just in terms of how important it was. How about you? FA Cup final 2017. Of course. Against Chelsea. The Mertesacker final. The Mertesacker final. Um... Was there a moment within that game or was it just his whole performance that stuck out to you? I think there was a moment. It wasn't necessarily him specifically, but Chelsea had a maybe second half. I can't remember, but yeah, I think it was second half. Chelsea had a chance to, to shoot on goal. They'd worked the ball into our box and all three of our central defenders were there holding Monreal and Mertesacker all there to make a block. You know, when you consider he hadn't played all season, he'd been injured. Uh, there was no no talk of him even being involved and then the week before you know Gabriel picks up an injury then Mustafi picks up an injury then Koscielny gets sent off against uh, Everton on the final day and you're you're asking this guy and actually in the light of what we've heard from Per Mertesacker in the last mm. few months about the way he's felt about his career and the pressure and the way he's he's found it hard at times to cope with the expectation uh, on him as a footballer. When you put mm -hmm. that final performance into that context, it's fucking amazing. It was so brilliant. It was so, so brilliant. And, you know, he's a guy who's really got the club since he arrived. He's absolutely got the club. He's got the fans. Uh, he understands it. And to see a guy like that go out and play like that on a day when we were the underdogs, Chelsea were expected to do the double. It was Diego Costa. It was Hazard. Mertes Sacker's coming back in. Rob Holding, he's only a kid. How's he going to play in a final? It was amazing. And I think, 
you know, seeing him lift the FA Cup that day, just that performance and seeing him lift the cup is absolutely my favourite Mertesacker moment. It's a very, it's a very good shout. I mean, uh, you mentioned Rob Holding there. Actually, there was just one moment after the final that I remember, where Mertesacker kind of embraces Holding, and there's a camera just by them, and you hear it picks up Mertesacker saying to Holding, "This is what we wanted at full time. This is what we wanted," and you just got that sense of Mertesacker not just as a player, but as a mentor and as a leader mm. to Rob Holding and other young players in the squad. And I think that's been a huge part of his role in the, in the past couple of years when he hasn't been playing quite as much. I think he's still had a very, very big influence at the club. And I suppose what's fantastic is that he's sticking around. He's, st- he's staying on. He's going to be head of the academy. Yeah. And without wanting to get back onto Mikel Arteta, if he is to get the job, it can't be coincidence, can it, that, uh, that Mertesacker would be head of the academy, Arteta coaching the first team, because those two, as captain and vice-captain, always seem to have a very close, very positive relationship. So maybe that is an element mm. that's also under consideration. Maybe so, maybe so. And when you think about that trolley dash of 2011 and what an absolute clusterfuck of a summer it was and the way we left ourselves mm. in that position, you know, the impact of those two guys on the last six or seven years, seven or eight years of Arsenal, I don't think can be really underestimated. Arteta and Mertesacker helped steady a ship that was sinking. It was going in absolutely the wrong direction and they had a big, big influence on us winning three FA Cups. Um, And for the two of them then to be involved, uh, again, you know, post-career or post-football, yeah, I mean, it would be um, as much as... Park Ju Young was an absolute shambles of a transfer. Those two could prove to be very canny indeed. Um, so, yeah. That's it. And then just bring in Andre Santos as yeah. the first team coach. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Defensive coach. Defensive coach only, Defensive though. Coach. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. It's his, his area of expertise. Um, okay, a couple more quick ones. This one from Beardy McBeardface, who's at Bearded Hannon. He says, This season, what has been your best goal, best game, best moment, and best individual performance? Oh, that's really hard. Mm. I've blacked a lot of it out. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, Best goal for me, I'll tell you mine, uh, Aaron Ramsey in the whatever game it was. I can't... Was it against CSK in Moscow or the one where he kind of... Oh, the back heel thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%, that's my best goal. That's pretty good, isn't it? That was pretty good. I was just trying to think of... I mean, I'm actually really struggling. What was your best game? Tottenham at home. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was such a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feels like four seasons ago. Um, Yeah, I think that one, I think that would have been, just in terms of the performance, in terms of the way we dealt with Tottenham, who were playing very well at the time and who played very well afterwards, I think it was uh, probably our most complete performance of the season. Yeah, I think it was very, very good. Uh, and obviously, it's a derby win. Mm. That's got to be the best game, I suppose. That's got to be the best game. Um, what was the other question? Best, best goal, best, best moment? moment and best individual performance. I mean, can I just say, I'm really struggling with this yeah, question. Yeah, me too. I do think within that, that tells you quite a lot about our season. Um, I'm absolutely struggling for best individual performance because... You know, I know there have been really good uh, players who've had really good games, but, you know, I'm thinking of when we beat Everton and stuff. And, you know, it's hard to 
it's hard to pin too much on that. I mean, best moment for me was the the end of the Burnley game just because of the occasion and everything else. Yeah, that's, that's that, got to be right up there. That in itself tells you something about our season. So, But at best individual I th- performance... I mean, uh, that same game in which Ramsey scored that goal, Meza Ezel was absolutely sensational mm. in that CSKA game. Uh, that is one that that jumps out to me, certainly. Yeah. Um, best performance I saw was probably... David De Gea against <laughs> against us at the Emirates <laughs> Stadium. Yeah, that was maybe our best performance as well. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what other goals are in contention apart from that Ramsey flick? I'm trying to think if there's been anything uh, particularly amazing, eye-catching. Um, I'm absolutely drawing a blank. I enjoyed Jack Wilshere's goal against Chelsea. Yeah, that was the, good. He lashed that one, didn't he? Yeah. That was a really nice sort of top corner strike. I feel like we haven't scored too many from range this season. Um, there was a nice Lacazette goal from the edge of the box where he bent it into the top corner after a 1-2. I think that was very early on in the season, maybe a second home game. Um, yeah. Maybe it was against Stoke or something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, generally, I'm, I guess I've deemed it a forgettable season because I... Normally, I would, I think I would be rolling these off the tongue, but there just aren't games or goals or moments that I cherish particularly from this season. Yeah, I liked Bellerin's goal against uh, Chelsea. I have to say, I thought oh, that yeah. was a good goal. Um, what else? There was one. Was there not one with? Um, I think Giroud scored it, and Ozil um, had a little interplay down the left with whoever was playing left-back, and it was one of those kind of one-touch, you got in behind the defence and Giroud finished at the near post. That was a nice goal. But I can't mm. remember who it was against and whether it was meaningful in any way. I think that's the what, thing, what isn't it? The f- yeah, it's the meaning, isn't it? There, there aren't too many games where it's like, oh, that meant a great deal. I, I think one of the performances I remember really fondly both of the team and also certain individuals. I mean, Aaron Ramsey was very good in that game, was actually the nil-nil at Chelsea. Mm. Because I think that tells you something about the kind of craving I have to see the team produce organised, committed displays. That even in a game where we didn't even score a goal, there were performances that I took a lot of heart from yeah. and uh, a lot of satisfaction from. Uh, Mesut Ozil um, against Newcastle was a good one. That was a great goal. Yeah. Where you sort of hooked it back oh, and yeah, folly. Yeah. And Xhaka scored a great, a great belter, didn't he, against Liverpool? But there's all there's always that um, that thing because it was Mignolet, yeah. It was a goalkeeping question. Giroud, Doesn't really count. It's only half. Yeah, a it's goal. only Mignolet. Yeah, it's only only half a goal. <laughs> uh, Giroud in the in the Europa League. Who did we play? It was one of those. Could have been Red Star oh, Belgrade. The kind of yes, uh, with Wilshire involved, and, and it was and Walcott, one. yeah. Yeah, that's a great goal, actually. Mm. Walcott wins a header, of all things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it feels telling that we're not finding it straightforward. Yeah. Oh, that was a great goal. Lacazette's goal where Ozil backheeled it to him. Do mm. you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know who that was against. I think he, we won that game convincingly, though. Maybe four, was that the fourth goal in a game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, that was good. But, you know, I think sometimes what makes great goals is the the, the weight of them in, in a game. And there haven't been too many that have felt, 
hugely uh, important, you know. Um, no, mm. I know what you mean. Okay, let's let's um, finish. Let's finish with one one more question about Arsene Wenger, given uh, his twenty two year reign is over, and it comes from Ben Horsecraft, and he's uh, he's at Ben Horsecraft, and he says, over the twenty two years, what is the one moment that made you think we are so lucky to have this manager? Alternatively, what is the moment where you went, what is happening here? So we could focus mm. on what is the one moment I think that made you made you realize we're lucky to have him. Yeah, I mean, just to deal quickly with the second one, for me, I think it was the the eight two Old Trafford. I think that was obviously a moment where a lot a lot kind of shifted in my mind. But in terms of the positive, I know it's easy to focus on the invincible season. Uh, of course, it's an extraordinary mm-hmm. achievement. But I would probably go back as early as his first double because that not only did it establish him, it re-established us at the top of English football, and it was it was transformative. You know, the football that we were playing, the way that Nicholas and Elker had come into the team, Mark Overmars, the speed at which we attacked, it was something genuinely new in English football. Patrick Vieira was at the heart of that side. Uh, at that point, I realised we had a manager who had changed us from a team in kind of sixth, you know, in sort of just at the the top of mid table into the best side in the country, yeah. and that leap happened very quickly, far quicker than our eventual kind of demise. You know, our slide over the past five, ten, fifteen years has been much, much slower than the extraordinary rise we had when Arsenega first came in. So that double and the crowning achievement, um, I think, would be the the moment for me. How yeah. about you? I find it hard to look beyond that as well. You know, where you where you thought, oh wow, there's really something happening here. You know, mm. that that first double that run of games, you know, after we won at Old Trafford when Overmars scored that goal and this this sequence of results that we had, I remember going, uh, didn't have Sky. I don't think I had Sky TV at home at that point. And I remember going to, we were on the telly quite a bit and going to the pub to watch the games and um, seeing us win those games to complete the double at home at Highbury, Tony Adams scoring that goal, uh, winning the double, you know, the FA Cup. Because, you know, I grew up uh, as a kid looking at the 1970-71 team, it, 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 it sort of, um, because I was born in 1971, there was something yeah. that connected me to to that double, even though I wasn't even born when they completed it, you know? Uh, but being a, a 1971 kid, when your team wins the double in 1971, you feel this kind of connection to it. So the double mm. was always something really special. It, it felt really special to me to win it in, in 97, 98. And like you say, he'd had, a, he'd had, you know, the previous season where he'd come in in the October and then all of a sudden the next season we're, we're champions and we've really upset Manchester United along the way because they were the force to be reckoned with. 
Uh, we've come in and we've brought in like exciting players, Anelka, Overmars, Petit, Vieira. We weren't just a good footballing team, though. We were physical and we weren't bullied and we weren't kicked around by by anybody. We had our red card shame. Remember that? That was amazing, wasn't it? Like every time we had a player sent off, it was like some crime had been committed against football because it was a foreign <laughs> player and a foreign manager. Like the focus on all the red cards was, was hilarious, but it fostered this spirit of fuck them fuck them I remember it clearly you know this idea that well so what fuck you we got a red card fuck you if he spat at Neil Ruddock fuck him you know it was this collective there was a collectiveness uh, to, to the way we were all feeling about the team at that moment in time and that felt special because you know obviously things have been a bit difficult after George Graham um, you know the the Bruce Rioch thing had sort of worked, but like if Bruce Rioch had stayed, Ian Wright, our best goal scorer, was going to be gone because Wright and Rioch didn't get on in any way. Mm. And that was like the idea of losing Ian Wright rather than Bruce Rioch, you know. Um, so it brought everything together. And I think that it happened so quickly really did make it feel special. And even when you, you go back now and you look, we won the double 97-98. We didn't win anything 98-99. We didn't win anything 99-2000. Uh, we didn't win anything 2000-2001. Three years. Yeah. We came close to stuff. We lost stuff that we should have won in that time. But people were still on board with it all. And then we go 2002, we do the double again. And like that game at Old Trafford, I, I really believe is is one of the great Arsenal performances. Of all time. Mm. Of mm. all time. Because United, as well as being a brilliant football team, you know, they were masters of physicality and the dark arts, and they had Ferguson who who would spoil things. And the last thing he or they wanted was for Arsenal to come to Old Trafford and win the title. No way. You think about what it would be like if we wanted, if we had the chance to stop Tottenham for, you know, winning the league at our place. That's how determined those players were to not let that happen. And they kicked us and they fouled us and they played great football because they were a great footballing team, but we still won. We stood up to it all, the physicality and the brilliance of their football. And we won the title at Old Trafford. And to me, that really is, it doesn't get as much focus as the invincible season because, you know, why would it? Because it's a, you know, not quite as um, significant a thing. But I just think in terms of performances, I remember and just feeling absolutely Oh my God! This is brilliant. That that game is right up there for me as uh, as one of the best. And uh, you know, thank you, Arsene Wenger, for that. And um, good luck. Yeah, it was incredible that two thousand two game, and yeah. it's often overlooked. You know, in that starting eleven, there was no Robert Perez, there was no Dennis Burkamp, there was no Thierry Henry. Mm. We went there with the front two of of Canu and Wiltord yeah. on that game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so many great moments, but. You can't forget the extraordinary sort of catalytic effect that he had upon the club when he arrived. And he just transformed us. He transformed us into a team who, even when we weren't winning things, were very close to it uh, for that first decade or so. And yeah, fantastic, fantastic times, fantastic memories. And just wish Arsene all the best, really, and whatever comes next. Absolutely. Same. I hope he goes on and has fun and succeeds where wherever it is he goes. Um, we're going to leave it there because we've been waffling for quite some time, but I think that's I think that's okay on a day when you're 
saying goodbye to a manager who's been in charge of your club for 22 years. Uh, all the ups and downs, the highs and lows and everything else that have gone with that. It has been a hell of a journey. Thank you very much, Arsene Wenger. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you in London live at Union Chapel mm. next Monday. Looking forward to that one. Uh, we'll have a podcast. I'll have a podcast on Friday of some description as well, so stay tuned for that. But we will catch you on the next Arsecast Extra. Until then. Bye-bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.